Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to three passages, two Old Testament prophets, Haggai and then Malachi, but you'll find it printed for you as well on page six of the order of service. You'll find uh, just three short, short passages this morning. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and we're using texts from Handel's Messiah, beautiful music set uh, to scripture to help us understand uh, the hope of waiting for the Lord Jesus. Prophets in the Old Testament are, well, one way to think about them is prophets are people who give stories to people in hard times. Prophets tell stories for people in hard times, true stories. And so here, here's the story this morning. Haggai chapter 2, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Those are beautiful words for hard times. I will fill this house with glory, the temple. So the question is, what will that look like when it happens? When glory arrives, what will it look like? Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, for you the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, how big are your dreams at Christmas? How big are your dreams? That's the question I want to put in front of you as we come to God's word together. Maybe actually another way of putting it or a better, a more arresting way of putting it is why should our children have all the best dreams at Christmas? 
Why should our children have all the dreams? For, for children, Christmas is magical, isn't it? It's beautiful to see it year after year. Their, their anticipation, their hope, their dreaming, their waiting. And of course it changes, doesn't it? The older you get, Christmas loses its magic and sheen. And this year in particular, Christmas might just be for you a time of stolen dreams or crushed dreams. We don't really know what it's going to be like, do we, in a couple of weeks' time. We know it's going to be different, and beyond that, we can't tell. Advent, this season that we are in, means coming. It's what the word means. The coming of the Lord Jesus into the world. But Advent means the coming of the Lord Jesus into the world twice. Once at his birth, and second time in glory. That is what Advent celebrates, both comings of the Lord Jesus. And Advent teaches us to wait by taking us back to the Old Testament, to a time when God's people were waiting and dreaming for God himself to come and reset the world, turn the world the right way up. That is a great dream to have, isn't it? Just recently, I saw one of those cartoons that have been doing the rounds, trying to explain the pandemic in picture form. It had uh, a picture of the, the world, a globe floating in space, but it had an electric cable coming out the back of the globe, and it had God off to the side looking puzzled and perplexed, looking at the world, and a little speech bubble off to the side said, have you tried turning it on and off again? Reset everything. Turn it off and turn it on so that everything works properly. Now that's a dream, isn't it? For the world to work properly. How big are your dreams this Christmas? Friends, God's people, us, you and me together, people who belong to the Lord Jesus, we have always, always had the biggest dreams at Christmas. I hope you know that today. We are, we are not longing for great gifts under the tree. We're not just longing to put our feet up at last and have mulled wine by the fire, although I hope that happens for you. Friends, we're not even longing for 2021 to be different and better. We know, don't we, above all other people in the world, we know that 2021, hopefully God willing, will have relief in it. But we know there will also be great sorrow again. Friends, I want us this morning, in this short time together, I want you, as you sit here, to take your place in the long centuries of God's people, waiting and waiting and waiting, waiting for the great Christmas dream, which is the day of the Lord. That is what we're waiting for. The day when God writes the world again makes the world pure, washes the world clean, heals the world, makes it whole, sets the world working again the way it was meant to be. I want to show you, particularly from Malachi, we're going to look at these two passages, Malachi chapter 3 and 4. I want to show you this morning three things that Christmas means, three things that the day of the Lord means. Here's how it works. In in these two passages, three times we're told that Christmas is like something. So for the grammar purists, it's the use of a simile. Three times we're told that 
something will be like something else. The day of the Lord is going to be like this. And so I want to give us three things that Christmas is like. And we're going to see that each one of them is startling and unexpected. Number one, Christmas is like a blazing furnace. Christmas is like a blazing furnace. Why do I say that? Chapter 4, Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. Just look back at chapter 3, verse 2. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. See, when you look at the the, the verse in chapter one of chapter, verse one of chapter four, burning like an oven. Friends, don't think your whirlpool double oven back home that's maybe on right now with something nice in it for Sunday lunch. That's not what the word oven means, is it? No, look at the rest of the verse, burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day is coming that shall set them ablaze so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. No, think furnace. Think Australian wildfires, Californian wildfires, the kind of things we've seen on TV where homes evacuated, nature reduced right down to burnt, withered ash. This prophecy in front of you, Malachi, this was written 400 years before the Lord Jesus was born. And the people who first heard it and received it were waiting for the day of the Lord. You see the, 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 the recurring phrase, the day is coming, the day. They were waiting for the day of the Messiah. The moment when Israel's king would enter Jerusalem and be crowned in glory. And what they were waiting for as one great day, we now know comes as one day in two parts. Now, this is really important just to see this, to take in the scale of Christmas. In Malachi here, the prophet is saying that when God sends his king, it will be a day of fire and judgment. That's clear, isn't it? Fire and judgment that will destroy. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. For that day to come, first God will send his messenger. You want to know it's coming? A messenger will arrive first to announce it, to say it's nearly here. That is John the Baptist. That's what John does when he comes. And when John came, what did he say? Do you remember? One mightier than me is coming, the Lord himself. And here's what John said about that one who is coming. Listen to these words. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Isn't that an incredible thing to say? The messenger comes and says, the one you are waiting for is coming. And he has a tool in his hand that he places into the world and rubs it and it separates wheat from chaff. The wheat for the barn, chaff for unquenchable fire. So you see the great day of the Lord that Old Testament prophets like Malachi, they thought would come as one day, in fact, comes as one day in two parts. The Messiah comes to the world twice, once in mercy and grace to be its savior, once in judgment to be its judge. The day of the Lord comes in two stages, 
Jesus comes as a baby. Then he comes again as universal sovereign. So you think, think of it like this. These candles that you can see in front of you here on this table beneath me. Think of it like this. On Christmas Day, as Jesus is born, God is lighting a match. God lights a match. There is now a flame in the world burning. Jesus is here, the light of the world. A world that hates light and loves darkness. The fire is here, it is real, but God has not yet put a match to the touch paper. He has not yet lit the whole furnace. But that day is coming. That day is coming. What did you make of that language in chapter 4, verse 1? When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Friends, I want to, I want to encourage us today not to be shocked or appalled by the strength of that language. It's picture language, obviously, isn't it? It's not literally true. And yet it is strong language. The picture is fearful. This is the Bible's way of talking about complete purification, complete removal of sin and evil and wickedness. But don't be shocked by it. And don't think this is too strong language to be used. Or or, or don't ever think, surely God wouldn't really be like this, would he? How big are your dreams at Christmas? What, what do you really want this year? What are you going to settle for? Peace at home, number 34, where you live on your street, just your corner of the world? Oh, we'd, we'd all like that, wouldn't we? It would be nice, but that is small-scale dreaming, isn't it? It's me and my little corner dreaming. What about world peace? What about world beauty, world harmony? Now there's a big dream. There's something worth dreaming about. The prophets said, friends, in the end, God must win or we should all pack up and go home. In the end, God must win. And if he doesn't, friends, blow out the candles, take down these lights, cancel your turkey, send back the presents, take down the tree. If in the end, at the end, there is no great and terrible day of the Lord, then all of our small scale Christmas good cheer and our season's greetings and our peace and goodwill on earth will not make any difference to anybody, will it, in the end? It will not make any difference to this fractured globe and to my twisted heart. If that's the best we can do is wish, wish each other well. No, Christmas will come and go. January, we will be back to whole, cold, hard, brutal reality. Chapter 4, verse 1. No, we need this. Or life is pointless. Christmas brings tragedies, doesn't it? I, I've tended to spot this over the years. I don't know whether it's just because it's Christmas and they become more pronounced. But Christmas brings tragedies. I was thinking back this week over past years. Terrible world events that come to light at Christmas time. I don't know what's ahead of us in the next few weeks. I, I spoke to a dear friend this week who was telling me about a friend of hers who died all alone just this past couple of days. And this friend said that her friend who died was failed by care management, 
failed by his GP practice, failed by old age psychiatry, failed by their hospital, and failed by the management of a care home. She said, I have been left deeply disillusioned by the disinterest shown by all public service bodies in the care given to elderly people living alone. Full of sorrow and heartbreak at what she witnessed as door after door after door closed. Too busy, not my problem, somebody else's issue. And somebody dies alone. And that's one person with one upset family. How big are my dreams at Christmas, Malachi is asking. Are my dreams big enough to imagine a world renewed? Big enough to imagine the kind of day when terrorist gunmen who kill children might one day somehow sit in God's kingdom together with the parents of the children they killed. Can that happen? Are your dreams big enough for that kind of scenario, for people like that to enter a city with a tree of life at the heart of it, astride a river, giving out healing from its fruit to all the nations of the earth? Are your dreams big enough to imagine a God who hates the death of the innocent and who will one day rid the world of that kind of evil? A God who burns with a holy and righteous anger against the kind of things we often have to witness and we are powerless to do anything about them. Some of you I know in your line of work See the kind of things day to day that would shock most of us in this room. And there is no answer for it. You're left scrabbling around, picking up the pieces. Malachi says, Christmas is like the lighting of a furnace that will one day consume. And it will be the pathway to beauty. But friends, I want us to notice this this morning. The match is burning. The furnace is not yet here, but the match is burning. Because Jesus has come once, his first coming, God has lit the match. The fire that will one day fill the end time furnace is here, not yet consuming the earth, but it is here and it is real. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. It is here cleansing God's people. Who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. See see it? Before the fire burns to destroy, it burns to purify. Jesus entering the world is like a refiner's fire, like launderer's soap. What what do you want in the metal that you're wearing, your earring or your ring somewhere in your body? You, You want the bright, shiny gold, don't you? But we want someone somewhere to have heated it and burned out the impurities. Well, the the clothes that you're wearing, what do we want? The words I hear in our house all the time, where's my kit, mom? Where's my shirt? I left it in the corner, covered in mud. Should be hanging up, clean. Someone somewhere takes what's dirty and miraculously makes it new again. Someone burns the impurity out and gives it to us whole, clean, perfect. And fire like this, Malachi chapter 3 verse 2, fire like this hurts. Soap like this cuts. I I remember a, a student at university 
I was thinking, I, I think it must have been Northern Irish. I think this is only Northern Irish students. This happens to you. Get to know, you get to university and you've never once done a wash in your life. First time. And a, a student tried, uh, looked at a piece of clothing that said hand wash, put his hands in soapy water with ordinary laundry detergent and wondered why the top layer of his skin came off his hands. I remember hearing another story about a Northern Irish student having to make his first cup of tea ever at university. He put sugar, tea, and water in the kettle and boiled it. Look, Malachi says, look what the first coming of Jesus into the world means. He comes to purify his people, to refine them. Now, don't miss this, friends. Verse 3, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify who? The sons of Levi, the priests, the, the, the very people meant to be protecting the temple, using the temple properly, safeguarding the people, feeding them, caring for them. But they weren't doing that. They were corrupt, selfish, cynical, apathetic. This is why when John the Baptist comes, is John preaching to Athens, to the world? No, he's preaching to Israel. You brood of vipers, he says. You Pharisees, you teachers of the law, you people who go to church with your open Bible. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. We're Baptists. We're Presbyterians. We go to church. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Brothers and sisters, at the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, he is looking for fruit. And at the second coming of the Lord Jesus, he is looking to judge. See, see that? The fire to cleanse comes before the fire to consume. Anytime you get to Christmas and stand in the nativity and with the wise men and the shepherds bend low and look into the manger, you should always see a baby with a winnowing fork in his hand. That is why he's here. That is what he's come for. He comes to look for fruit before he comes with axe in hand to judge. And here we are together again, a Christian family of God's people. Here we are again, one more Christmas. So friends, this morning, I want you to forget the pandemic. Forget what Christmas will or won't be like in a couple of weeks. Every single year, Christmas is one more God-given opportunity for us to remember what it is God wants to see. Fruit fruit. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, John the Baptist says. No fruit, face judgment. Or repent and do an about turn. Let the Lord Jesus turn your life around and live for him and speak for him and die for him. Let every single part of your life be shaped by him and bear fruit for him. See, these words in Malachi mean when you come close to the Lord Jesus. Malachi chapter 3 verse 2. When you come close to Jesus, do you feel the heat? 
the, the fire burning, the soap cleansing. Am I repenting? And is there fruit in my life? What, what one wise old believer said, I, I want to carry my repentance to the very gates of heaven. What he meant by that is that repentance wasn't something he did back when he was 23 years old and hasn't thought about it since. I'm now on the inside. I'm a believer. Repentance is what got me in. Now it's something different. No, repentance is what we do every single day. That's why we have confession of sin in our service week after week after week. Do I hate my sin more this Advent than I did last year? Or have I struck a deal with it somewhere? Called a truce in one particular area. Many of you know when we worked through the Gospel of Luke, I came to love J.C. Ryle, the, the old Bishop of Liverpool. Was, it was hardly a sermon went by, wasn't there, when I didn't quote J.C. Ryle. Here's what J.C. Ryle says. Let every returning birthday find me hating sin more. You don't get bishops saying that sort of thing very often. Let every returning birthday find me hating sin more. I'm going to change it to Advent. Let every returning Advent find us hating sin more. Let us never forget that to be content with sitting in the congregation and hearing sermons while we bear no fruit is conduct that is most offensive to God. When God gives spiritual privileges like he does to us, to his people, he looks for proportionate returns. Isn't it amazing that when God lights the match, he does not put the match under the Gentile nations. Where does he light the match? In his temple, among his people. Am I growing in grace or standing still? What one wise theologian has said, if you are not increasingly grieved by your own sin, you are not growing as a Christian. So true, isn't it? You, you cannot relate to the Lord Jesus and keep coming closer and closer to him without coming closer and closer to the fire, to the heat, to his purity. Number one, Christmas is like a blazing furnace. Number two, Christmas is like a healing sun. Christmas is like a healing sun. I need to be honest with you. I'm, I'm cheating here. The word like does not appear in verse 2. Chapter 4, verse 2. But I think the idea is there. Christmas is like a healing sun. The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. Malachi is saying that this day of the Lord, when it comes, it will be like a sun rising in the sky after the dark of night. And that rising sun will give to the world something beautiful. Just just look at the words in that verse. It's full of unusual ideas, isn't it? We don't often attach the word righteousness to the sun. And what does it mean for the sun to have wings? And what does healing mean? Well, here's what I think verse 2 is saying. When that day of the Lord comes, the great and dreadful day, that one same day will be experienced in two different ways by two different groups of people. The same thing experienced in different ways by different groups of people. 
See how it works? If, if you are, verse 1, arrogant and all evildoers, you experience the day as an oven, a blaze, stubble. But that same day is like a sun rising in the sky if you are what? Well, verse 2, for you who fear my name. You see at the start of the verse, but for you. It is different for you. The sun in the sky whose heat and warmth you bask in and delight in, not, not fear and have to retreat from. We know what this is like, don't we? The same thing experienced in two different ways. Many of you know Kieran Dodds. Uh, he's a, a friend of some of us in the church family. He's a professional photographer, goes to Edinburgh North Church in Edinburgh. And some of you will have seen Kieran on TV recently. He was on uh, BBC Breakfast with Dan Walker, uh, other TV programs he's been on, because uh, he's just brought out a beautiful book called Gingers. And Kieran himself is ginger. He has beautiful twin girls. Uh, who have bright, fiery red hair. And Kieran began to notice that around the world in art galleries, there were unnoticed ginger people in all these famous paintings. So he took it on himself to photograph ginger people all around the world. It's worth looking up um, another book for somebody's uh, Christmas present, particularly if they're ginger, you can get it for them. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. And as you look at those photographs, you begin to notice the recurring theme, of course, don't you? Ginger hair, fair skin. So imagine everybody in that ginger book. Imagine everybody in that book going on holiday to Spain with your black-haired friend from California, your surfer dude friend. And off they go for two weeks in the sun in Spain together. What happens to them? The same sun, the same sun burns one group of people bright red and ruins their holiday and leaves them in agony. And tans the other person dark brown, leaves them delighted with a wonderful time of rest and relaxation. The same thing experienced in two different ways. For the wicked, Malachi says, for verse 1, Jesus is like a fire that consumes and destroys. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light. But for his people who who know salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, to them the Lord Jesus is like a rising sun shining on people in darkness, isn't he? And so here is the beauty of the Lord Jesus for us this morning. When he comes into the world, Malachi says, it's like one of those mornings, you 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 don't have them at the minute, do we, in the depths of winter? And if you're new to Aberdeen, trust me, these days do come again. You will get there. It's like the long, cold night of darkness being passing, and you're woken by sunlight streaming through your window. You know those kind of mornings? And everything is different because the sun is in the sky. See, this phrase in verse 2, the sun of righteousness the son of righteousness. It's simply a way of saying that at the end, Jesus will give to the earth what he himself is. It's how the sun works, isn't it? The sun gives to the earth what it is. It is a ball of gas and fire. And so it gives to the earth what it is. It gives heat. And so Jesus will spread out to all the earth what he is. He is righteous. 
And he will fill the earth with his righteousness. This phrase in verse 2, healing in its wings. Think about what children do when they draw the sun. They draw a yellow globe, don't they? And put streaks out of it, just straight lines coming out of it. In the ancient world, the sun was drawn like that. It was a colored globe, but with rays emanating out from it all around. Those were the sun's wings. Malachi is saying that just like the rays of the sun reach out to bring light and life to the earth and things grow in its light, so as Jesus gives to the earth what he is, as he extends his scepter, stretches out his righteousness over all the earth, shadows will be banished and light and life will grow. That's what Jesus' reign will be like one day. What will happen, friends, when Jesus does that? Everything will go back to how it was meant to be. Everything will go back to how it was meant to be. What is the antidote to the curse? Healing. What is the answer to sickness? Healing. What's the answer to disease? Healing. What's the answer to a deadly pandemic? Healing. Brothers and sisters, Christmas is like a healing sun. Christmas is like a healing sun. The light has come. Jesus is here. Has that healing sun risen yet as high in the sky as it one day will? No. Have its rays, have its wings reached into every dark part of the globe or even yet into every dark corner of my heart and your heart? No, not yet. Do you feel today, I know the answer already, do you feel completely healed of everything that ails you, mind and body? You know, we we carry more scars, don't we? More damage than many other people know. Maybe than we even realize ourselves on this side of glory. And it is only when we stand in Jesus' beautiful presence and bask in his glory and feel the light and the heat from him. You know what it's like on holiday? If you can imagine your, remember your best holiday. I think for me, the best holiday memories always start as the plane door opens and you feel the wave of heat. It's not everybody's idea of bliss, is it? I know, but it is mine. The plane door opens and heat, and then you get to the hotel or wherever you're staying, there's a swimming pool, and the sand on the beach is, is white, and the sea is clear and calm. Stresses and strains, work melts away. Because of sun, because of light, because of heat, it is only when we stand in Jesus' beautiful presence, then we will know what it means to be completely healed. Completely whole. His light will reach parts of our minds and our personalities and our temperament that we don't even know exist. And he will reach down into us and reset us and remake us and recalibrate us. And light will course through the universe again in glory. We will work just the way we are meant to be. Like a blazing furnace, like a healing sun, 
Number three, even more good news. Christmas is like setting prisoners free. Christmas is like setting prisoners free. Look again in verse two. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. It's a farmyard image, isn't it? The, the point of the image actually, though, is not the animal, not, not calves, but leaping free. So you think, think about the day when the pandemic ends. And I think, God willing, with the vaccine, it seems like that's going to happen, doesn't it? The best we can tell, one day, I think with confidence now, we can say one day our politicians and leaders will stand and say to us, this pandemic is over. And of course, we'll be fearful. There'll be different personalities on display. Some won't want to come out for a while. We'll be nervous about hugging again, all the rest of it. But think about the freedom that will exist. Think about how you'll feel with all restrictions removed. Life back to what you had in large measure. Remember Peter and John in the book of Acts, healing the man crippled from birth. What does he do? Politely shake their hands. No, he jumps to his feet and begins to walk. He went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. I think the emphasis in verse 2 in Malachi here, the emphasis has to be, doesn't it, on what it what it feels like to be set free. You shall go out leaping. You ever seen it on a farm, a young calf released from a press box? Restrained and restrained and held back and held back. And then it's the door is open, free to go into the field, jumping with sheer delighted joy at being free. Let's take this in, friends. Malachi says, when we meet our Savior, that is what life will be like. That is what life will be like. You know, if you go through the Gospels and read what people are like when Jesus heals them, nearly always they run. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Leaping, jumping. Some of us haven't done it for years, have we? We're not sure we could do it anymore. We see it in children, their sheer delight. If I don't know how much you see when you come in for this service, but af, after the first service at 9.30, let me assure you, it is literally like herding cattle outside on the, the concrete, oblivious to pain, oblivious to the coldness of the, the concrete until it meets them up close and personal in shock, running together, full of freedom, joy, happiness, no cares, no worries. We end up later in life, don't we, weighed down, perplexed, bruised, too weighed down even to feel the joy of this kind of release, and our, our dreams at Christmas shrink. Malachi says, one day, one day the bolts will slide, and the doors will open, and we will be free. We will be free. You know, as we finish, I think the question in front of us, I said the question is, how big are your dreams? I think actually the question is not how big are they, but how true are they? How true are your dreams? Well, what is the point of dreaming if it is only a dream? We have that at, at, at Christmas at the minute around our table. It's our children's way of telling us what they want for Christmas. They tell us what they dreamt about last night. And nine times out of ten, we say to him, oh, well, sorry, it's just a dream. Great joy in our house. Happy Christmas. What's the point in dreams if they're just dreams? 
in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's a point in the story where the children in Narnia realize they are in a land frozen into always winter and never Christmas. Always winter, never Christmas. The creatures they meet, the situations they encounter are all bleak, all tinged with sadness and disaster, until, that is, the beaver says, Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. With those words, a new beginning intrudes on the story, doesn't it? The snow begins to melt. Signs of spring begin to emerge. The world begins to change. The white witch finds the animals feasting. It's a beautiful, beautiful moment in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe where the white witch finds the animals. It's like it's just off to the side in the story. They are eating and feasting, and she is furious. Where did you get all these things? Who gave them to you? What gluttony, what waste, she says. C.S. Lewis writes that at the name of Aslan, each of the children felt something jump inside them. Lucy got the feeling you have when you wake up in the morning and you realize that it is the beginning of the holidays or the beginning of summer. The sun has risen and the sun is rising. Aslan is on the move. Amen.